First Peter chapter three. As you're turning there, before we read, let's go back nearly 2,000 years in history. We're about 30 years removed from Jesus' crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And it's now around 60 AD, five years after the Apostle Paul has just written the letter of Romans to the church in Rome, Emperor Nero of Rome, he burns a huge chunk of Rome trying to he said he, wants, he wanted to redo the architecture. Um, so he was like, well, let's just burn it down, see how that goes. It didn't go well. People got really upset because that's their homes, that's their businesses. Um, so people get really mad. Nero, he's trying to dodge all the responsibility. And so he blames it on Christians. Now, that doesn't sound too horrible until you realize what that actually meant. Uh, that's death for them. They are burning them alive. They're feeding them to lions in a coliseum of people watching, people cheering. And Emperor Nero, uh, he wanted it to keep going, so he used Christians as torches to, um, to light up the rest of it. Some believers, though, they make it alive and they're exiled into the nation surrounding Rome. Um, it's still a part of the Roman Empire, just not necessarily so close. Um, but Peter writes them this letter. He writes them First Peter. And they're surely struggling like with what to do now. What is my life supposed to be like now? I'm kicked out of my home. If I go back, I'm surely going to be killed. I can see the smoke across the horizon of my brothers and sisters in Christ being burned alive without help from someone who's been there to encourage them. Who's going to remain in that? But Peter writes to them as someone who has denied Jesus three times. And he says, no, stand firm. I know exactly what you're thinking. It is really scary. It's awful what's happening. But stand firm in the true grace of God because it is far better for you to be here in this grace than anywhere else. In fact, from our text this morning, Peter's going to argue that it is better to be in the midst of suffering like this in God's will than outside of God's will and in safety. Why is this important for us to see? Is there always going to be truths in our culture, in our thinking, that are going to try to cause us to act outside of God's will? These things are not biblical, but they sound really good. Safety, keeping our lives, like that sounds really good. But they are subtle poison, and they're from any number of our enemies. It could be um, demonic, it could be just our own flesh, uh, trying to, to flesh out some of that... Uh, Maybe I can just move it away a little bit. Sorry for the popping. <clears throat> but one of the truths that we tend to believe, I think, um, is that to suffer is wrong. And we've mentioned it here before, and we'll probably always mention it, because suffering is always going to be hard to rejoice in. I mean, it's probably always going to be something that we believe wrongly about, because it's hard. It's not called suffering for no reason. And then even if we do have a good understanding of it, we probably just need to hear it again and again and again to be reminded of our purpose here. God has called us. If you look back just a few verses, God has called us to suffer for his glory and for the salvation of those who we are exiled around. So not just even here in 1 Peter, but also in Romans 5, Paul says rejoice in suffering. 
James in uh, James 1 says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Like most times, I just want to escape suffering. I don't want any trials. I don't want hardships. Like where are the easy ships? I want a cruise ship. Like that sounds like a nice ship. I don't want hardships. I want life to be free and easy, but there is the subtle poison. C.S. Lewis said, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. The real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some do not. Suffering is horrible, but the truth that God is giving us in our text this morning is that it is better. Look at verse 17. For it is better. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, note again that this is a very specific suffering for doing good. If we are in sin and suffering because of it, if we have an affair, if we murder someone and are suffering, not what we're talking about. Suffer for doing good. Why? Because it is better to suffer and be in God's will than be safe outside of God's will. Why is it better for you and I if we are believers, to suffer for doing good? The answer is found in the rest of the text, so with all of this in mind, let's read it. Starting in verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism now corresponds to, which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray that right now you would remove any sort of distraction that we feel, any sort of stress or inner turmoil that we have going on, that you would... (coughs) you would remove it and that you would place nothing before us in our minds except for your word and what you have for us? Would you cause our hearts and our souls to stretch to what it is you have for us? Would you make it so that we cry out that that you would help us to believe? And God, for me, uh, if there is anything that I'm I'm saying that I'm prepared to say uh, that is not of you, have me skip over it, have us, and if I don't skip over it, have all of us forget it. God, would you just show yourself by your word and nothing else? Would you meet us here? Would you change us? Would you transform us by the power of your spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ? And it's in Jesus we do pray. Amen. It is better to suffer for doing good. Why? The short answer, the gospel. The gospel is why why it is better to suffer for doing good. 
Uh, and so God is just going to show us in our text four aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ that answer our question. Um, and it's, I say four, it could be five if you flesh it out that way. It's totally up to you. You could write it however you want to, I guess. But uh, the four things are life is number one, death, number two, three is burial and resurrection together, and then four is ascension. So all of these are aspects of Jesus' life. All of these are aspects of the gospel that, uh, that are absolutely necessary for us understanding our purpose as exiles here on earth. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial and resurrection, and you can do three and four there if you'd like, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. Life, death, burial and resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The truth of this gospel is absolutely necessary for us to understand our purpose as exiles here on earth, to see exactly why Suffering for doing good is better. So let's take a look at the first one, Jesus' life. Look at verse 18 again. For it is, sorry, 17. For it is better, there's our key word, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Why is this true? Because of Jesus. That's why the, the next word is for. Here's our reason. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So before the foundation of the world, before any creation was created, God existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and everything was perfect. But God wanted to share this perfection and glory with created beings who could enjoy and magnify such a glory. So he created a perfect world with everything that man could ever need. And for the only time in history, God and man walked together in perfect harmony. No sin separated them until two chapters later. Perfect harmony with the perfect triune, glorious God wasn't enough. Adam and Eve failed to believe that God truly did love them. And when they were tempted by the serpent, they ate of the fruit. And sin entered in, forever fracturing the relationship. The reason we were created is to glory in God and enjoy glorifying God. The issue is, in our sinful nature, we do not. This is, in fact, what sin is and what sin does to us. I know that some of you have probably heard it, but sin is missing the mark of the perfect glorification of God. But when I say missing the mark, like I mean shooting the arrow backwards into our own hearts. Like we're not even at the range. So now we have a huge problem. The punishment of sin is death and eternal separation from God. When sin entered in, so did the punishment for it. We all deserve to be judged by a perfect judge, but we have only righteousness to bring. And there is our huge problem. We need a righteousness that gets us back into the garden, that gets us into heaven, into a right relationship with God. We need a righteousness outside of our own. And this is exactly what we have in Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life in full obedience to the law of God in thought, word, and deed. Romans 3 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then again in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him 
Remember that for later. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Through our faith in Christ, the righteousness of God is given to us. When we place our faith in Christ, God places the perfect righteousness of Christ in our account so that we become perfect in his sight. The old hymn, uh, it's one of my favorites, Before the Throne of God Above, it says, I have a strong and perfect plea. Why? Because God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. This is exactly what we have in Jesus. If Jesus did not live a life of perfection, we have no hope in the midst of our suffering. It would be for no purpose. But he did. And now in the righteousness of Jesus that that has become ours at the cross, it is better to suffer for doing good because Jesus suffered for doing perfect. So now suffering is that thing that will never touch us again in glory. It's only temporary and then never again. And it is something now that flips from horrible to now it has a purpose. Now it refines us into an image of our Savior. It's still fire, but it refines us. There's a purpose there. This is the first part of the gospel. The second part is Jesus' death. We have Jesus' life, Jesus' death. Look at verse 18. For Christ... Here's our reason for why it is better. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That, here's the purpose of it all, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered how many times? Once. This means his death on the cross was eternally valid. Valid for what? That he might bring us to God. Without the death of Jesus, there is no right relationship with the Father. Without a righteousness imputed to us in Christ through faith. But something needs to happen to our sin. It can't just go unpunished. It's not like God just moves it to the side. He's a just God. Justice still needs to happen. But that's exactly what did happen. Our sin was imputed to Christ at the cross. That's how Christ paid our debt of sin to God. He suffered the just penalty that our sin deserved. Jesus died the death that we deserved to die. So now any suffering that comes just pales in comparison. Now what comes next in the text is a little confusing. And scholars have disagreed uh, really kind of harshly about this over uh, for nearly a thousand years or so. But uh, the truth, just very simply, is that uh, God does not make every issue, issue in the Bible very clear to understand. Uh, But here it is. In which, uh, so being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Uh, Scholars disagree here. Like, who's the spirits in prison? Is it um, people who were uh, unbelievers, who were disobedient at the time, and now they are in hell and and Christ went to them? Uh, So it's a little confusing in that regard. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, that's a really long sentence, too. But why did Peter throw this in? Why does Peter include this? Because his readers are mostly Jewish. And they know the Old Testament. They understand Noah and the ark. They know the history there. They know exactly what kind of spirits are in what kind of prison for exactly what kind of disobedience. They know that God allowed Noah to be mocked and ridiculed by agents of wrath for 120 years. 
but God still saved him. So Peter's just speaking to his audience, and the truth is he doesn't elaborate any further on this point. Maybe we don't know what he meant. But for us, Christ went in his death, alive in the spirit, to proclaim to the disobedient spirits in prison. That's what we know, but here's what he went to proclaim. The victory is now his. The issue that, that the scholars bring up is like, well, he either said, uh, he either went to the spirits in prison and, and preached the gospel to them, or he just said that I am victorious over sin and death. Either one of those is really good by me. Like, let's say that both of them, uh, you can't have one without the other. The verb translated made proclamation is caruso, uh, which just refers to making a proclamation or announcing a triumph. So in ancient times, a herald, uh, he would precede generals and kings. He would go before them in the celebration of military victories. He would go to town and he'd say, we won. Like, the war is over. That's what Jesus went to do. To announce his triumph over sin and death, hell, demons, and even Satan himself. The death of Christ was absolutely necessary for this victory. Why? Because at the suffering and death of Christ, the righteous was substituted for the unrighteous. And now unrighteous sinners have a way through faith. At this moment, Jesus declares over sin and death, it's finished. Why is it better to suffer? Because Christ lived a life of righteousness and died a debt-paying death on our behalf. There's no, there's no work left to be done but to live in any way that God wills. And then third, or third and fourth, however which way you'd like that, uh, Jesus' burial and resurrection. Jesus' life, death, and now his burial and resurrection. Uh, look at verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Question mark? Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the fact that eight people were in an ark and went through the whole judgment and yet were unharmed, it's, it's an analogy to the Christian's experience in salvation. By being in union with Christ, identified with Christ, who is our ark of salvation. So Peter is not teaching that immersion in water by a particular denomination saves you. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, which is everyone who appeals to the Lord, will be saved. Paul does not mean that faith alone fails to save. That's what faith does. Faith calls out to God. So in the same way, Peter, when he's writing this, baptism is an appeal to God, either in the form of repentance or in the form of commitment, but it, both of those are just what faith does. While a wooden ark delivered Noah from physical death, a wooden cross delivers us from a spiritual death. This is a message of security in Christ that these men and women needed to hear so that they might, so that they might be stabilized when the waves of affliction come upon them. For you and I, we have an ark of salvation in Jesus. Let the waves come. Jesus was buried. That's the picture of when you baptize, when you were baptized. It's uh, buried with him and raised to life. Jesus was buried. And this is a huge aspect of the gospel. It was the burial on our behalf. But he was also raised from the dead on the, on the third day. And uh, Romans 6 says it this way. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The realities of the resurrection for us are mind-blowing. Perfected bodies. No cancer, no sickness. I know like a thousand people that I'm friends with on Facebook that had the flu. It's insane. Never again. There will be no more tears. I cannot even imagine that. There will be no more death. There will be a new and perfect heaven and earth. What does a perfect starry night look like? What do perfect mountains look like? But here's the point. Everything here is a shadow of what is to come in the resurrection. So we can live now as though it's okay to miss some of the beauty here and now. Like we'll see it in eternity. And it's perfected form. I might not ever see the Alps, but I'll get to see the perfect Alps. That's going to be much better. Why is it better to suffer here and now? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he lived a life of righteousness and died a debt-paying death on our behalf. And that in victory he was buried and arose to live, to, to live for the glory of God. We have been saved once and for all. Nothing can take us away from what is to come in Jesus because nothing can take away Jesus. And then fourth, or fifthly, uh, Jesus' ascension. It's, uh, it's in this order, it's in you know, these four to five categories, um, because that is, that, these are the essential things to, uh, to believe. You have to know uh, what the gospel is in, in this order of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So uh, if you look at uh, verse 22. This is Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is completely and finally victorious over all angels, over all authorities, and all powers. All of those are subjected to him. This means that there is nothing that comes to us that Jesus does not give the authority to happen. No harassing, no oppressing, no deceiving, no accusing demon is free to do as he pleases. All angels, authorities, powers, devils, evil spirits, demons, and Satan himself are subject to Jesus Christ. Everything that he allows is for our good and his glory. Do you see why it's better? Think of the nations that these men and women are in now. 
They, oh, they are not home. I don't know how they're living. It doesn't say if they're in tents, if they're just kind of finding caves to live in. They're in a mountainous region, so I imagine they found something like that. But they're around these other men and women who've been there for a long time, and so they're, they're exiled. They're foreigners in this land. But they are beacons of light in dark places. They wouldn't be here without this suffering. We don't know. We don't know uh, how God worked this out, but we can imagine that there were some people who came to faith because of the suffering of the Christians in Rome that exiled them out of everywhere. You and I are in the place we are in. We experience the suffering we experience for doing good, all for the glory of God and for the sake of those around us. When Peter says at the end of his letter in 1 Peter 5, verse 9, which we'll get to hopefully by the end of the year, that was a joke. I guess maybe. I don't know. It's taking us a while to get here. But here's what he says. The devil prowls around like a lion seeking to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. This is the faith he has in mind. Knowing that even that lion is subjected to Jesus. The faith that all angels, authorities, and powers are subject to Jesus. Jesus will only allow something to the degree that it will turn for our good and for the glory of God. And then the text also says just exactly what Jesus is doing after he has ascended into heaven. At the right hand of the Father, he's sitting. He's not in a panic. He's not pacing back and forth trying to figure out how he's going to save all these sinners. He's resting. He's not anxious. He's not worried. Our God is in complete, victorious control over everything. And this is our great rest and comfort. We can rest knowing that our Savior is resting. As long as Jesus is seated, seated there, which he is, then we have nothing to worry about. And we can live for God's glory. Reading these words would have lifted these men and women. They see their Savior. They are reminded I'm sure a lot of them, maybe every one of them knew about the, the whole the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. I'm sure they knew that. But how good is it to be reminded of that? Why is it better to suffer for doing good? Why is it better that we are fearing our lives? Why is it better that we are exiled from home, suffering in a foreign land? Because of the, job, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered for not just doing good, but for being completely perfect. The righteous Jesus stood in the place of the unrighteous sinner, you and I, that the unrighteous sinner may stand at all before the Father, but now righteous. Jesus not only had to suffer the fear of death, but he suffered death itself on the cross. Jesus left perfect heaven because of the love that he had for his creation to redeem our lives back, to bring us home. God made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him, the, in the ark of salvation, we might become the righteousness of God. In the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I have everything we will ever need. And so our focus in this life doesn't have to be on anything other than that. It doesn't have to be on anything other than what God has called us to, to what God has called us to live like in light of this gospel. Everything else, our God is in control.
So that's why we are gospel-centered. That's why uh, my hope and prayer, like as I, as I have a list of your names, my name's on there too, but as, as a list of Mission Church's names, I pray that we would all remember the gospel every day. We come back to it daily. We love the Lord with everything we are, and we love others as much as we love our own selves. We live to the glory of God and for the salvation of others. At the end of our lives, these, only these two things will matter. The glory of God and the salvation of others. Second Corinthians sums this up well for us. For the love of Christ controls us. All of our actions, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, the gospel, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As we are here in this land, the suffering that we experience here in Forney or Terrell or just Kaufman County, wherever we are, is probably not going to look like Christians being burdened at the stake. I don't think that will happen in our lifetimes. It might happen here in America at some point. But what we're going to experience is all of the other authorities and powers, but they are all subjected to Jesus. We do all of this. We have the, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, of being reconciled back to God. And we do all of this in the power of the Spirit. We don't do any of this on our own strength, but the strength that Christ has given us. When, when he ascended into glory, he said, I'm going to send you a helper that will be your helper. That's what that meant. All of these works, all of this uh, believing even, all comes from the Spirit, all because of the good news of the gospel of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on our behalf in perfect victory for eternity. And our righteousness depends simply on our faith. Our righteousness depends simply on our faith. The truth is in our sin, we have no good to even suffer for. That's the point. We suffer for the good of another. And we live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By faith. This is exactly what we remember in the Lord's Supper. We remember the body and the shed blood of Jesus. We remember this gospel. When Jesus is saying, like, this is the cup, this is the bread that was broken for you, this is my body which was broken for you in remembrance of me. We remember Jesus. And so this is time for self-examination. Are you believing? 
Have you been reinvigorated in your, in your faith? Have, have you had your faith renewed? Do you have faith at all? There's hope for you. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're welcome to the table as family. But take your time to pray through what God has given you to pray through. And in this time, lean into the strength of the Spirit. I want to stress to you, though, to remain in your seat if you are not yet a believer or if you're in unrepentant sin. 1 Corinthians says that you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and I don't want that for you. If you're in unrepentant sin, turn from your sin to belief in the gospel again. Jesus has purchased grace with his blood and it is waiting for you. If you feel like you do not deserve it, that's a good thing. Grace isn't deserved. But the gospel is still to be obeyed. There is hope for you. If you're an unbeliever, this text might not answer all the questions you have. But the Bible does say that it is sufficient for salvation. Hope has come to you this morning. Do not leave here without taking time to repent of your life of sin and turn to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Believe in the good news of the gospel. There's hope for you too. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer. Man, you don't live in a way that shows you have a new identity in Christ. That's all of us at some point. Realize that, know that. Maybe you're here this morning and you just aren't sure. You're questioning. That's all of us. Know that. Maybe you're afraid. That's all of us. Know that. But be encouraged. Dead people don't worry about that. Dead people don't do anything at all, let alone worry about whether or not they are glorifying God. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is for you. For all of us, here's our prayer. It will be up on the screen for you to read. Father, we confess our sin of living as though you did not send your son to redeem us. Would you, by your grace, renew our understanding of the gospel yet again? Would you remind us, all, remind us of all the wonderful realities that now exist for us in Jesus? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.